and welcome to another week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Melbourne, broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network and brought to you by your local community radio station. I'm Sarah McKenzie. CPSU members working in Medicare, Centrelink and child support took strike action on Friday, March the 17th as the next step to resolve their long fight for a new enterprise agreement. We'll talk to Lisa Newman, the Deputy National President, later in the show. We'll also hear about the National Union of Students, who held rallies across Australia on March the 22nd, demanding the right to a free and accessible education system, and also discussing some of the other social justice issues facing students today. But first, some union news. Unions can change governments, and attacks on workers can crumble them. This was clear in 2007 and has been proved again in the recent WA election in March this year. A new exit poll commissioned by the Australian Council of Trade Unions shows that penalty rates were a key factor in the recent Western Australian state election. The poll of 1,400 WA voters two days after the election showed that 61.6% of voters thought that the federal government should legislate to protect penalty rates. ACTU President Jed Kearney said the recent decision to cut penalty rates was a devastating blow to the former Western Australian government and that Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull must act now and stop these harsh cuts for the 700,000 workers who will be impacted come July 1. On the 20th of March, footage obtained by the TWU, the Transport Workers' Union, was shown on the ABC's 7.30 program. This footage showed an area near baggage carousels at the Sydney airport that staff say they were made to sleep in because of low pay, insecure work and split shifts. TWU National Secretary Tony Sheldon said the footage shows the reality of work behind the shiny facade of our airports. Workers are struggling on slave wages. They have to spend long days at work to support their families. This is an outrage and comes as a reminder of the struggle faced by too many Australian workers to maintain good wages and decent working conditions. Since the Fair Work Commission's decision to cut weekend penalty rates on the 23rd of February, unions have been fighting back hard. Following the emergency meeting on penalty rates, the Young Workers' Centre at Victorian Trades Hall have hit the ground running, with blitzes planned to talk to workers in hospitality and retail in Melbourne's CBD throughout April. If you want to get involved, you can go to www.youngworkers.org.au. In global news, hundreds of workers at the FAW Volkswagen factory, situated in the northeast city of Changchun, China, have continued to take action over the last few weeks. Their demands are against the practice of agency labour hire, which allows non-permanent workers to be paid as little as 50% of the permanent workers for the same job. Workers have rallied under the familiar slogan of equal pay for equal work, claiming that agency workers are paid significantly less. Industrial action among Chinese workers has steadily increased over the last few years, with unrest spreading from the manufacturing industry sector to the retail and service sector as well. 
The contract between the Victorian government and the security company BRI has been torn up over allegations revealed by the ABC earlier this month that guards were being underpaid and given cash in hand below the award rate. United Voice, the security union, said at a protest outside the gallery that guards were being underpaid a total of $3 million. The Minister for Creative Industries, Martin Foley, said the state government would not tolerate underpayments and ended BRI's contract after these revelations. In a win for workers, the Parmalat Dairy Plant industrial dispute has ended. 70 workers had been locked out of the plant in Echuca, Victoria, for two months during the enterprise bargaining dispute. But on the 20th of March, Australian Manufacturing Workers Union and the Electrical Trade Union members voted to accept an agreement with wage rises, improving redundancy provisions and mandated consultation if contractors are brought in. New ACTU Secretary Sally McManus welcomed the resolution, saying that the new agreement is a huge win for the Parmalat workers in Echuca, but calls on the federal government to take action to stand up for working Australians, instead of always backing the top end of town. Here's what Tom Hale, the Assistant State Secretary for the Food and Confectionery Division of the AMWU, had to say about this win. There were nine outstanding issues uh, in relation to our claims. They were dealing with precarious work consultation before contractors are brought in, protection for permanent full-time jobs, the um, pay rise, a sign-on bonus, and um, they were the they were the general outstanding issues and redundancy. So that was on the Thursday. On the Friday, we went to the commission. Um, and six of those claims um, the company conceded. We then said that um, uh, we would meet again with them on Monday up in Echuca. Um That was in the commission that went on the Friday. Um, we um, said to them that it would help us if they were to give us their position in writing um, on the weekend. They gave us that um, proposal on a Sunday afternoon and they conceded to two out of the three. Um, we took it back to a meeting of the members who accepted it and um, we, got, uh, we got a resolution. I'd like to thank everybody for their support, for the members um, I greatly appreciate it because there was contributions of money. There were people dropping into the picket line to give support. There were um, people, uh, there were messages of support from workers um, internationally as well as as well as locally, um, and um, that sort of support helps people um, that have been locked out for 62 days to make it through. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. I'd like to talk today uh, just briefly about unionism and what kinds of attitudes I think we should bring when we're organising in our unions. Now, two weeks ago, 
I stood a couple of blocks from here with 15,000 construction workers who had walked off the job, these were CFMEU members, who'd walked off the job to protest, to march against the Australian Building and Construction Commission and uh, the Fair Work Commission's decision to cut penalty rates. Those workers were told that what they were doing was unlawful activity. John Setgar, the secretary of the CFMEU, told us that what they were doing was unlawful. But he also told us that when the justice system doesn't work, you defy it. Bad laws throughout history have been changed by people like yourselves, defying them. They've broken them. Now last week, on a program called the 7.30 Report, the new ACTU secretary, uh, Sally McManus, uh, was asked by the interviewer Lee Sales if she respected the rule of law. She was, she was told this because she was, she was asked if the ACTU would distance itself from the CFMEU because it had engaged in unlawful activity. To which Sally McManus, to her credit, replied, no, they would not distance themselves from the CFMEU. She said, it might be a legal industrial action, but it, according to our current laws, but our current laws are wrong. I believe in the rule of law when the law is fair and right, but when it is unjust, I don't think there's a problem with breaking it. Exactly, yeah. give her a round of applause. Now, Lee Sales found this astounding that someone would express such blatant disregard for the sanctity of laws. Laws, she said, made by our parliament. Uh, yet I would suggest that someone like Lee Sales take a history lesson because everything that's progressive and good in this society has been won by people who have broken laws. Things that I, that I would imagine Lee Sales would appreciate, things like the right to vote, things like the eight hour day, things like civil rights. These have been won by people who took illegal action. When Rosa Parks sat on a bus seat in Montgomery, Alabama, she was breaking a law. I wonder if Lee Sales would have the gall to ask Rosa Parks if she respects the sanctity of the rule of law. What she did ended, led to a movement which ended legal segregation in the South. Rosa Parks sitting on that bus seat, that was illegal, but it was the right thing to do. When drag queens, when trans folk in, at the Stonewall Inn in 1969 threw bricks and beer bottles at cops and rioted through the streets of Greenwich Village. They were breaking the law, but it was the right thing to do. When a gay student at Macquarie, U Macquarie University in Sydney in 1973 by the name of Jeremy Fisher was kicked out of his dormitory for being gay, and when the construction union, the Builders Labourers Federation, down tools in defence of Jeremy Fisher, in defence of gay rights. Let me tell you, they did not apply to the Fair Work Commission for the permission to take protected industrial action. Now what they were doing was probably an illegal strike, but it was, again, the right thing to do. So I stand here today to tell you that if we want to win free education, we cannot be held back by some desire to play by the rules because the rules are not written. They have never been written in our favour. I am not interested in playing by the rules. I'm not interested in going through the so-called appropriate channels. I'm interested in winning. Respecting the rule of law is not some principle that must be upheld. It's a question of tactics. And where laws need to be broken, we break them. This time three years ago, we were here in 2014, uh, staring down the barrel of a horror budget by the then Abbott government. 
We're staring down the barrel of deregulation uh, and, and, and the Abbott government potentially fulfilling its lifelong dream of making higher education just a, a preserve of the rich kids of Australia. Three times that government tried to pass uh, deregulation. Three times it failed. How did they lose? They lost because ordinary students like you, like me, refused to play by the rules. We came out, we chased Liberals off campus, we protested it in our thousands, and we made the government's life hell. Now I'm going to wrap up, but before I do, let me say this, that the reason the Liberals are so hell-bent on attacking unions is because they know that that is the way that workers organise to fight for their common interests. It's through organising in unions that workers will be able to beat back the ABCC, be able to beat back measures like cuts to penalty rates. Similarly, it's our student unions, it's in our student unions and our ability to organise in protests, collective protests like this one, where we find our power to be able to beat back, not just to fight against attacks to higher education, but to actually impose our view of what society should look like. And so, I say to you that, I, I want to quote a famous revolutionary, Rosa Luxemburg, who once said, those who do not move do not notice their chains. Well, the time to move is now. The time to protest is now. The time to rise is now. Because whether we're fighting trimesters, whether we're fighting homophobia, whether we're fighting for free education, or whether we're fighting for more, we have nothing to lose, but we have a world to win. I guess at the moment we're seeing a lot of changes to higher education that have happened um, over the last few years under this um, coalition government, uh, such as deregulation, which was fought back. But now they're still um, cutting funding all the time to universities, which is decreasing the quality in the services that universities can provide for students. We're also seeing um, streamlining of courses everywhere with big restructures, which is just going to completely detriment the quality of education that students face. Um, there's a lot of concerns about the whole the direction that universities are heading and higher education is heading. Uh, Universities Australia agrees with that, who are actually the you know university management group, um, and there's just no clear policy direction um, that's going to help have equitable and affordable education for young people. Can you just tell me your name and why you came today? Um, so I'm Jesse. I came today because I'm a uni student, and it kind of sucks right now. Like there's a lot of issues that directly like uni students in particular face, and like it's only getting worse. Um, one of the biggest things recently, I guess, is all the issues with Centrelink. Like, specifically for me, since I moved to the city from, like, a rural area, like, I live off my Centrelink. Like, if I lose, like, $10, like, to everyone else, that's, like, nothing. But that's, like, the difference between me going, like, a day without eating or not. And, and what do you think we, as, as a union movement, need to do about it? Um, I think, like, demonstrations like this, really, like everyone coming together in solidarity like say like no this is not okay like like the furthering the gap between classes like continuing to support the rich like Gina Reinhardt could fund free education herself if she wanted to and like I can't afford to eat most days no fees no corporate universities no cuts no fees no corporate universities
That was the National Union of Students rally in front of Victoria's State Library in Melbourne on March 22nd. Students mobilised nationally on the 22nd in Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Adelaide and Canberra. Stick together. 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 You're listening to Stick Together on Community Radio. Aiming to resolve outstanding issues in their enterprise bargaining dispute at the Department of Human Services, members of the Community and Public Sector Union working at the DHS have begun rolling strikes throughout the country. These are workers from Medicare, Centrelink and Child Support Centres. Lisa Newman, Deputy National Secretary of the CPSU, joins me by phone to talk about the strike action on March 17th and ongoing industrial actions at the DHS. Every DHS workplace uh, had the opportunity to take strike action from 1.30 in the afternoon until 8.30 at night. And um, this was consecutive 30-minute blocks of um, industrial action. And the feedback that we've got from staff is that uh, most people uh, basically commenced industrial action at 1.30 and uh, left work for the afternoon. So um, we're pleased with the participation rates and there's going to be ongoing strike action uh, until the department takes uh, their cuts off the table. Okay. Um, so there was industrial action planned for earlier this year, but it was cancelled. What's different about that industrial action to now? Um, there's no real difference. We have always uh, wanted to resolve this, uh, uh, the outstanding issues between uh, the government, the department and ourselves. Um, it's become uh, clear that the department's position on a number of issues is not restrained by the government bargaining policy, which is very, very concerning. Um, The majority of the workforce are women. Um, It's over 70%, and uh, 30% of its workforce are part-time. So we're really uh, disturbed by the attack on the rights of part-time workers the attack on the rights of an increasing casualised workforce and um, also uh, the uh, move to remove rights in rostered environments, which is essentially um, their smart and call centre uh, operations and Medicare Child Support and Centrelink. So those are substantial issues and people are also wanting... um, to see uh, a commitment from the department to genuine consultation over matters of um, uh, significant workplace change, and that has not been forthcoming either. They also want to ensure that they get rights to access workplace delegates uh, and uh, on paid time where that is necessary to do so. So mm-hmm. it's pretty pretty basic bread and butter issues that are still outstanding and. Um, the department are offering staff nothing in exchange for the cuts they're wanting to make, which is um, fundamentally at odds about uh, uh, negotiations. So we don't have a lot of room to move. So there's been a lot in the news, obviously, about the DHS, um, mainly about robo-debt. 
Is this just the federal government using the DHS as some easy target for budget savings? Is that a feel across the issues that are happening there or are they still very separate? Look, I think the bargaining agenda of the government particularly is not limited to DHS and it's never been limited to DHS. It's been applied right across the APS and that's why uh, we have seen a fundamental failure in a number of attempts over the last three years to secure agreement in a number of agencies. Um, The issues around uh, uh, staffing cuts, are quite separate. So um, they, what we've seen in DHS and things like robo-debt don't occur in isolation. Um, robo-debt's a really good example, but it's only the latest and most public one of what happens when you reduce permanent staffing levels. And we've seen the department bleed permanent jobs. We've lost 5,000 of them. And uh, in the last financial year, only 30% of all new hires at the department were permanent. So you can't make those cuts and not anticipate that it's going to have a detrimental impact in your organisation's capacity to meet uh, the community demands, the services that communities rely on. So um, they are separate issues. Um, but it's one of the reasons that we have uh, we we have been asking um, the government and department to better fund the Department of Human Services. They've got over four thousand four hundred casual workers who are not casual. Uh, they're casual in name only. They're doing permanent work and they're working very routine and regular hours, no different from the permanent and part-time staff that they sit next to. We think that those people need a pathway to permanency through a merit selection process. Uh, They need more training to actually assist in helping people uh, deal with the issues that they're actually contacting the department to resolve in the first place. And what we've seen is that casual workers have been used to essentially cheat uh, the organisation's KPIs. So um, as has been reported, uh, we've known for a while that casual workers can't, they don't have the experience and training to resolve issues. Um, They're basically uh, taking people out of queues and then putting them back into queues where the clock starts ticking again. So they're fudging the department's stats making its performance look far better than it actually is. Mm -hmm. Our members see the reality and the impact of that. And the robo-debt process, that's just an example of a system that has been designed to remove as much human interaction as possible uh, through um, the removal of checks and balances. So um, uh, you've got a system that basically has reversed the onus of proof from the government uh, to establish uh, that somebody has a debt to customers to prove they don't have a debt. And my fear is that uh, a lot of people are just accepting uh, that they have got debts and are repaying the government when they don't. So um, it is a cr- crazy situation. It is a completely unacceptable process that needs to be stopped. It needs to be redesigned um, so that... Uh, when recovery uh, actions are needed for overpayments, that there is um, absolute confidence that 
the information on which debts are being recovered is absolutely factual and right. Thanks for that, Lisa. Back to the the strike action, what is the next steps for workers in the DHS? Look, um, after three years and an incredible amount of patience, uh, staff and our members um, are, are basically saying this needs to be sorted. So I imagine we're going to see increasingly frequent industrial action um, over coming weeks and months um, to try and resolve these issues. But essentially our position is that um, both the government and the department cannot expect anything but a minimal change agreement if they're not offering any compensation um, for the cuts that they have uh, they are asking people to accept it's just not on and um, I think while pay hasn't been an issue for our members it's an increasing um, sign of their uh, uh, frustration that it's becoming more significant because these people have actually um, uh, suffered a pay freeze for the last three years which in actual uh, effect has driven their real wages backward so um, I think people are uh, increasingly frustrated and angry and that is going to be a fe- feature of the industrial action in the department uh, ahead of us unless the department significantly um, changes its position and removes the cuts that it's proposed to make from the from the table. And if members of the community um, want to support uh, CPSU workers who are taking industrial action, is there any way they can do that? Look, absolutely, and one of the things that uh, I would encourage members of the community uh, to do is ring their local MP, and uh, it doesn't matter what party uh, they're from, uh, ring them, and uh, if they're from a conservative uh, party, ring them and tell them uh, that uh, they expect fair and reasonable outcomes from all APS um, bargaining, including that in DHS. I know our members do really difficult work under really difficult circumstances and they would really appreciate any support that uh, the community can provide them. Great, thanks Thanks for that and thanks for um, talking to us today, Lisa. No worries. That's it for Stick Together today. Thanks for listening. The program is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast nationally by the Community Radio Network. Podcasts for this show can be found at 3cr.org.au slash sticktogether. If you'd like to get in contact with the producers of this show, you can give us a call on 03-9419-8377 or email us at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. And remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. My name's Sarah McKenzie. Until next time, stick together.